I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many of you are glad to be here today? Are you glad to be here? Thank you for praying for me while we were gone. We had a tremendous trip uh, in Africa. I wish it's a trip all of you could take. A year, week ago today, I was uh, in Nairobi. I was preaching in a great church over there. Run, they run several thousand people. Very, very poor church. We spent uh, about three days taking food into the city. If you can imagine taking a, a, a bag of cornmeal to a family that will feed them for a week and then giving them $2 that will buy food for another week, that's the kind of place that we were. It'll make you be so grateful for what you have here. And it really leads me to say something about the message today. I don't say very often. You will find it very difficult to take this, this message very seriously. Because when I start talking to you about what it's about, you're going to say, well, that's not us. That's not me. I mean, I know it may be a problem in other countries, but it's not a problem with us. And so let me begin by telling you a story. When I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention about 20 years ago, we had divided the world up into about 14 different regions of the world where our missionaries were. And they asked if I would travel to all 14 regions. So over a period of about 14 months, I literally traveled around the world and went to, I don't know, probably about 55 different countries in about 14 months. And for the most part, it was very enlightening. It was very exciting. It was very encouraging, with one exception. When I got back from my trip to India, I was very uncharacteristic at home. You can ask Teresa. You know, normally I'm, I'm who I am. If I'm, I, I don't put on a show here. This is who I am. I'm pretty excited. I'm upbeat. I'm an A-type personality. I'm A-D-D-D-D-D-D. I mean, that's just kind of who I am at home. But when I got back from India, I just moped around. I, I didn't say anything. I barely would talk to Teresa. I'd kind of get away in my study. And she thought it was just jet lag and I was tired. But that went on for a few days. And so finally she walked into my office and she said, all right, what's the matter? What's wrong? And I told her a story I want to tell you that to this day I can't get out of my mind. Some of you know Steve Nolan. Steve was our missions pastor here at one time, one of my very best friends. Well, Steve was the resident missionary in India. I'd never met Steve before. And so I fly into New Delhi. He meets me there, and then we fly to Calcutta. So we're in a taxi, and if you've ever been to India before, I mean, it's, you know, over, what, a billion people, and tra you think traffic's bad in Atlanta, just don't go to Calcutta or New Delhi or Mumbai. We're in a taxi, and we're literally stuck in traffic, and we're next to a park, and I notice there's a man that's paralyzed from the waist down, and he's pulling himself and just pulling himself and pulling himself, and, and every now and then he would pull, and he would stretch his hand out, and he'd pull, and he'd stretch his hand out. Well, then out of the corner of my eye, I saw about 20 yards away from this man was this bull, this Brahma bull. And I said to Steve, I said, Steve, what, what is this guy doing? Where is he going? And he said, well, James, they, they worship cows here. Cows are their God. And he said, this man believes if he can just touch that cow, he'll be healed. That man just believes if he can just put his hand on the back of that bull, he will be healed. It was a spectacular demonstration of the power of idolatry. We left Calcutta. We flew to Mumbai. And Steve said, I want to take you to a shopping mall. But you had never been to a mall like this in your life. So we went to a multi-level store. And there was aisle after aisle after aisle after aisle of all these different kinds of gods you could buy. 
They were, they were, they were green. They were blue. They were all hand-carved. They were all hand-made. Some was made out of marble. Some was made out of wood. And you could literally go and you could just pick out whatever gods you wanted to take home and you could worship that god in your home. And I found out that in India, idolatry is big, big business. But it was the overwhelming lostness and darkness, just ocean after ocean of people that don't know the true God. They don't know the one God. They worship a false God. And it crushed my heart. It took me almost a month to get over that experience. Now, we're in a series that we're calling Red Sea Moments. We're studying the life of Moses. And if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the second book of the Bible. It's the book of Exodus. And I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 32. What we're going to read today is an event in the history of this country. It just, it's bewildering. It just leaves you scratching your head. After 400 years of slavery, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had finally delivered the people from Egyptian bondage. Now God's taking them onto a journey. And God has already promised them, if you'll follow me, if you'll love me, if you'll obey me, if you'll stick with me, I'm going to take you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a land, you, it's, it's Disney World on steroids for you. It is an unbelievable place. Now in Exodus 32, they have come to a place called Mount Sinai, where God is about to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And the reason he gives them this Ten Commandments is he wants to show them how much he loves them and how much he cares for them. And, and he gives them these Ten Commandments because the reason why God gave us Ten Commandments, by the way, is not because he's a God of do's and don'ts, not because he's a God of rules and regulations. The reason why God gave us the Ten Commandments, you kids listen up, the reason why God gave us the Ten Commandments is here's what he's saying to us. If you will do what I tell you to do, and if you will not do what I don't want you to do, you will be happy. You'll be healthy. You'll be holy. You'll enjoy life the way life was meant to be. It'll be a life of purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And here they are. Moses is up on the mountain. They're at the foot of the mountain. And before Moses can even read the first two commandments, they're already breaking them. They're already tearing them apart. Because up till now, when you study this story, it's really kind of funny. The people of Israel have been treating God like a heavenly bellhop. You know, they, you be at our beck and call, give us everything we want when we want it. When they didn't get what they wanted right when they, did, right when they wanted it, they griped, they moaned, they complained, they got angry, they got bitter because they want what they want when they Moses so want it. So Moses is lingering on the mountaintop with God. And the people get tired of waiting on Moses to come back. So they do what we all tend to do. They said, you know what? Let's just take matters into our own, in our own hands. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go find the God that we like. Let's make our own God. Let's go find the kind of God that will do what we want when we want him to do it, that will tell us what we want to hear when we want to hear it. And here's the truth of the matter, beginning with this guy right here. We all have idol, I-D-O-L. We all have idol hands that tends to transform the God that we want into the God that we worship. Because let me tell you what's wrong in our churches today. One of the th many things are wrong in the church. There's a lot of things right, a lot of things wrong. We have too many people that don't worship the God of the Bible. They worship the God they've created. They worship the God they've made. They worship the God that they like. But here's what I'm going to teach you today, okay? If you are for God, you won't put anything before God. If you are for God, 
You won't put anything before God. Now, here's the strange thing about idolatry. There are times we all practice idolatry, and we don't even know it. There are times in our lives that we made an idol out of something, but if somebody said, you made that into an idol, you'd say, you're crazy. Oh, I like it. I enjoy it, but it's really not an idol, though it really is. As a matter of fact, many of you may discover you've got an idolatry problem you didn't even realize. So when I was back in my study a moment ago, I was on my knees, and I said, Lord, here's what I want you to do today. My prayer is that we'll understand how we worship false gods, what happens when we do worship false gods, and please, Lord, show our people today why it's in your best interest to give your full loyalty, your complete love, and your total devotion to the only God that there is. So I want to say three things today. You might want to write these down. Three things about idolatry, idol hands. Number one, idolatry moves us to deny the true God. This is the problem with idolatry. It moves us to deny the true God. Now, we're in Exodus chapter 32. We pick up in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. In other words, give us our custom-made God. Give us the God that we build. Give us the God that we like. Give us the God that will tell us what we want to hear. And as for this, I love this, as for this fellow Moses, we'll get back to the minute. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, here's what's going on. Moses has been on the mountain with God for 40 days. That seemed like a long time to these people who'd been waiting for him. So as the days stretched into weeks, people said, you know what? We've had enough. And you know what really blesses me? After all that Moses had done for them, they don't even file a missing persons report. They, 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 they basically accuse God of kidnapping Moses. And I love the way they refer to this fellow Moses. I mean, just day before, days before, this was the Moses that led them through out of Egypt. This was the Moses that parted the Red Sea. This was the Moses that got water out of a rock. This was the Moses that got manna down from heaven. Now who's Moses? Just another John Doe. Don't bother to send out an Amber Alert. Don't gather a search party. Instead, they turn to his second in command, his brother Aaron, and say they, they say these heartbreaking words. Come, make us gods who will go before us. Now, you would think, you've been with me in this series, you would think after all we've seen God do for them, you would think they would at least have learned over and over one lesson, right? There's only one God. There's only one true God. There aren't a bunch of gods running around the universe, and you get to pick and choose the one you want. There's only one God. And their God's not a lowercase g God. He is a capital G God. There's not, their God is not one of many. He is the one and only God. And what they still don't get is this. The moment you start talking about little gods, the moment you start worshiping any other God, you just put yourself on a path that's going to lead to defeat and disappointment and disillusionment and ultimately destruction. destruction. Now, we shouldn't really be surprised that we're in the 21st century and we're talking about idolatry. And let me tell you why you shouldn't be surprised. Because the whole concept goes all the way back to the very beginning of human history. Do you remember what the very first tempter's first temptation was? Do you remember what it was in the Garden of Eden? He said to Adam and Eve, You'll be like God. 
You want to know what idolatry is in a nutshell? You just read it. You'll be like God. You can make your own God or you can be God. Because here's what we don't get, and we're all guilty of it. I'm number one. The greatest form of idolatry is not worshiping a statue. It's not worshiping a little handmade God. The greatest form of idolatry is when you worship yourself. Can I tell you something about the devil that we've kind of been fooled about? The devil is not interested in trying to get you to worship him. What the devil wants is for you to worship you. He doesn't care if you put him first. He just wants to make sure you don't put God first. And if you happen to be first, that's fine with him. And that happens when you make an idol out of the person you see in the mirror. When you begin to think to yourself, you know what? You know why I've got what I've got? Because I worked for it. You just made yourself an idol. You know why I've gotten to where I've gotten? Because I went to school. I got an education. I busted my rear end to get here. You know what you did? You just made yourself into an idol. When you get it in your mind, you're the one that forges your future. You're the one who determines your destiny. You're the one whose desires matter most. You make yourself equal with God. So you're reading this story and you think to yourself, at least I would, surely Aaron's not going to fall for this. I mean, Aaron's been right beside Moses the whole time, right? He's Moses' brother. He's his right-hand guy. As a matter of fact, God thought so much of Aaron, he said, Moses, you come up here, you leave Aaron in charge. Aaron's committed to God. Aaron's submitted to God. You're not, you know, right? Nope. He folds like a napkin at a five-star restaurant. Look what he does. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. <laughs> it's amazing. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now watch this. Aaron is handed an opportunity on a silver platter, and he turns it into a gold-plated failure. It wasn't hard, Aaron. This is not rocket science, Aaron. All Aaron had to do is to say, wait a minute, time out. There's only one God. We know who he is. He has given us his name. He's the one that brought us out of Egypt. He freed us from bondage. So the simple answer is no. I'm not going to make a false God. But Aaron lacked the courage. He lacked the conviction to do what is right in the moment. And he does what a lot of people do today. He checks the poles. He looks at the direction the wind is blowing. He feels the pressure of public opinion and he caves. Now, let me just stop, chase a rabbit, 10 seconds. Good place to remind you about something about preachers, and I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this, but there are really today only two kinds of preachers in the world. You go to any church you want to, you're going to find basically one of two preachers. Some will tell you what they believe God leads them to say, and then there are those who will tell you what they think you want to hear. There's only two kinds. And Aaron reveals he's the second kind of leader. And so to add insult to injury, listen to what he does. Listen to the kind of idol that he makes for the people. He makes what they call a calf. Now, you wouldn't know this because most of you don't know Hebrew, but that's kind of part of my job. 
So the Hebrew word there for calf is a very interesting word. It is the word egel. You don't need to remember egel, E-G-E-L. You don't remember, remember that. But scholars say that that doesn't mean what the word calf means to us. We think that a calf is just a small, young cow. That's not what that word means. That word means a young bull in his full strength. You know what that calf was? You ready for this? It was a representation of Apis, A-P-I-S. Who was Apis? That was the Egyptian bull god. You talk about insulting God. You talk about throwing dirt in God's face. They not only have the audacity to worship a false god, they are worshiping the same god of the pagan nation that God had just delivered them from. So no wonder later on we read these words. He said to Aaron, what did these people do? This is Moses. What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Moses doesn't just call what they do a sin. He said, this is a great sin. Well, why was it a great sin? Well, let's think about who committed it. This nation, the chosen people of God, the people that had been delivered from bondage, the people that had been brought to the Red Sea, the people that God had promised to take to the promised land, they're the ones. Think about when and where the sin was committed. At Mount Sinai, where they're about to receive God's law, they're about to meet with God himself. They're about to see God's glory. But it's also because of what they had already seen, what they had already heard, what they had already experienced this God had done for them. Think about this. They had already seen God deliver them from Egypt in the Passover. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God provide them food and water from heaven. They had seen God lead them through a wilderness day by day with snakes and scorpions and cobras and all kinds of ferocious animals. And didn't he have a scratch on them? And they can't even wait 40 days and build this false God. Now, let me teach you a lesson. It's been a great lesson to learn. Miracles and signs and wonders never guarantee you'll believe in God. Miracles and signs and wonders will never guarantee you believe in God. I guarantee you, you talk to people, I've heard people say this. I've, heard, I've had people say this to me. People have said that don't believe in God. You know what? If God wants me to believe in Him, let Him do a miracle. God wants me to believe in Him, let Him do a wonder. Let Him do a sign and show Himself to me. Listen, there's never been a time in history that more people saw more miracles that God did than these people during that time in a shorter period of time and ever, and they still turned away from him. So I got news for you. If you won't believe this book, you won't believe a miracle. If you won't believe what God has already done by raising his son from the dead, forget God sending you a miracle. God's already done all God needs to do to get us to believe in him. But that's what idolatry does. It moves us to deny the true God, despite all that we've seen God do for us. And here's the second problem with idolatry. It leads us to devise a false God. When you deny a true God, you're always going to devise a false God. In fact, an old Puritan named Thomas Watson once said this, God made man of the dust of the earth, and man makes a God out of the dust of the earth. So they make a God out of the earrings of the people, by the way, which is so interesting. You know, why do you think Moses said, hey, give, give me your earrings? He didn't even know what he was doing. It's so ironic. Because this God that they're about to build was deaf. He couldn't hear a thing. Nevertheless, 
The first church of the golden calf is now open for business. Here's what we read. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Just keeps adding insult to injury. He announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Now, now this is the amazing thing. It's, it's, it's so incredible. These people have doubted God every step. It doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't take a long. They start griping, start complaining. But now look what they're doing. You ready for this? And this really gets me because it's so true today. These people are showing more excitement and more enthusiasm for a false God than they ever showed for the true God. I was in Athens, Georgia yesterday. No surprise, right? And I'm sitting there thinking about this message. I saw more excitement and more enthusiasm for a zipped up bag of air than I see in church on Sunday. What's wrong with that picture? I saw people get more worked up yesterday over a goal line stand over a score that didn't even matter at the end of the game than we will see in the average church on Sunday. And here are these people showing more enthusiasm, more excitement over a false God than they ever did the true God. You say, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because the closer we are to the true God, the closer we want to get to Him. But the farther we are from God, the more attractive false gods become. The evangelist Dwight L. Moody said, Satan doesn't care what we worship as long as we don't worship God. Now watch this. In ancient times, their idols were made by human hands. We don't really see that in America today. You know where, you know where we make most of our idols? We don't make idols, idols in our hands. We make idols in our heart. If you're a golfing fan, you'll appreciate this. John Ziegler, true story, 34-year-old talk radio host, loved to play golf, had a zero handicap, attended Georgetown Jesuit University. But after college, he grew disillusioned with the church and basically just got away from any form of religion whatsoever. Now, watch, listen to this. During the Masters in 2000 on April the 1st, he declared himself the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Tiger Woods. Not making this up. He even launched a website, tigerwoodsisgod.com. Now, you may think, sounds crazy, sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't. We are all tempted to make a big G God into a little G God because we don't want a God who tells us what to do. We don't want a God that tells us how to live. We don't want a God that says, you will do this and you won't do that. That's not the kind of God that we want. We want a God that will approve what we want to do. We don't want a God, want a God we serve. We want a God that serves us. We don't want a God that we please. We want a God that pleases us. And by the way, there's something even more subtle under the surface of idolatry. See, here's, here's where it gets tricky. Most of us are not tempted to worship evil things. I'm not worried about any of you flying all the way to India so you can buy a handmade God. That is not even on my radar screen. Because most of us don't worship evil things. You know what we do? We simply put God second to good things. I want to remind you of what I said earlier. If you are for God, 
You won't put anything before God. But here's how we do it. Let me tell you how we do idolatry. You ready? Watch this. Now, some of you, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten uncomfortable yet, let me take a shot. Here's what we do. We take something good and we turn it into a God. All right, buckle your seatbelt. A family is a good thing. But I know people that worship their family. Money is a good thing. But I know plenty of people that worship their money. A beautiful home is a good thing. But I know people who worship their money. There are people around today, some of you may be in this room, some may be watching right now, you're driving your God right now. There's some of you that are more concerned that somebody's going to nick your car in a parking lot than you are that people are not saved. I, I, I knew I wouldn't get an amen, I'm just telling you. <laughs> some people drive their God. Some people wear their God. Some people go to stadiums and cheer for their God. And here's an even greater problem. Notice what we're told in verse 6. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. You know what the word revelry means? It means sexual immorality. And here's the danger with idolatry. It always is true. Idolatry will always lead to immorality. Listen to what I said. Idolatry will always lead to immorality, but not the way you think. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your God is fame. I want to be famous. You'll be tempted to compromise your character to get the fame. Or let's say your God is money. Watch this. You ready? If your God is money, you will be tempted to rob God of his tithe so you'll have more money. So let me just stop right here. I'm going to take one more shot. If you're not giving a dime to God's work, you are an idolater. Did you hear what I just said? If you are not giving a dime to God's work, you are an idolater. You have put your money ahead of the God that gave you the money to begin with. Now, if that makes you mad, you apologize, I'll forgive you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. If your God is your job, you know what you'll do? You'll be tempted to sacrifice your family on the altar of your work so you can climb the corporate ladder. Let me tell you something, folks. Idolatry is alive, and idolatry is well. And here's the greatest irony of all. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt all the time. While God is giving Moses the law, the people of Israel are breaking it. And what should have been a time of celebration becomes a time of condemnation. And instead of experiencing the wonder of God, they're going to experience the wrath of God. And see, here's what's the saddest thing of all. This is what I saw in India. This is what breaks my heart. When you fall into idolatry, you begin to worship a God who cannot save your soul, who cannot solve your problems, who cannot strengthen your weaknesses, and who cannot supply your needs. So when you fall into idolatry, you deny the true God, and then you devise a false God. 
Let me tell you one last thing, then we're, then we're going to get finished. Because now we come to the climactic part. Because idolatry forces us to decide on one God. Idolatry forces us to decide on one God. See, more than any other area of your life, so let me just help you here. Put everything else aside. More than any other area of your life, God draws a line in the dirt, and he says, you're going to make up your mind which God you're going to worship. You're going to worship some God. Everybody worships some God. You're going to decide what's going to be the God that you worship. What's going to be the God that you love more than anything else? What's going to be the God that's more important to you than anything else in the universe? I want you to listen to this quote. In every human being, there is a deep ongoing search for meaning and transcendence. Part of the image of God in our very nature. Even if we flee God, the religious imprint remains. Everyone worships some kind of God. Everyone believes in some kind of deity, even if that deity is an impersonal substance, search, such as matter, energy, or nature. That is why the Bible preaches against idolatry, not atheism. You ever thought about that? The Bible has one thing about atheism. You know what the Bible says? Only the fool says in his heart there is no God, and God just moves on. God says, you're an atheist, got no time for you, can't help you. But the Bible has so much to say about idolatry, because even an atheist has a God. His God may be autonomy. His God may be self-authentication. His God may be money. His God may be fame. His God may be himself. Every atheist has a God. So the real question at the end of every day that every person has to answer is this, not do you believe in God? I never ask people that question anymore. The question is not do you believe in God? The question is which God do you believe in? Because there's only two, big G, little g. Which God do you believe in? And that one decision, that one decision will determine the kind of life that you live on this earth. That one decision will determine where you spend all eternity. Well, for Israel, the day of reckoning has arrived. We're in verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides. By the way, you, meant, you know who wrote those, right? God did with his own finger. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, i.e., not always bad, not always a bad thing for a preacher to get angry. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now watch this. And he took the calf of the people, had made, and burned it in the fire. So he barbecues this idol, puts it on the big green egg, right? Burned it in the fire. Now watch what he does. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. And I've always wondered, why did he do that? You got me. You got to admit that he was ticked. You agree with that, right? He was ticked. He, I'm just telling you, he was, uh, you know, nip it in the bud. He was ticked. <laughs> I wasn't even in my notes. I wonder where that came from. So here's what Moses does. First, he destroys this idol, barbecues it, grinds it to powder. Then he makes it, mixes it with water, and the Israelites drink it. All right, now remember, 
Any God you can destroy is a false God. But here's the question. I know if I was a, if I was a kid, I'd be asking this question. So, Pastor, why did God make them drink this? Why don't you just drown it, throw it away, or whatever? But God makes them drink it. Well, I'm going to get a little anatomical here. Whatever goes into the body comes out of the body. Right? Whatever goes into the body comes out of the body. You know what Moses was telling these people, learning them, teaching them the hard way? Whatever your idol is, isn't worth any more than human dung. Let that sink in. That house that you're so proud of that you just worship, that car you drive, that jewelry you own, that money you got in the bank, that IRA, that football team, at the end of the day, compared to the only true God there is, it's not worth anything more than human dung. That's powerful. And that's why idolatry is so dangerous. My good buddy Ed Stetzer put it this way. It is, is it that a 12-inch tall piece of wood or bronze can do something bad to us? Or is it that we do something awful to ourselves when we place adoration and attention that should go to God and other things? When it comes to idolatry, the danger is not in an item. It is in, say that out loud, us. It's in us. So let me tell you what idolatry does. When you put that job ahead of God, when you put your money ahead of God, when you put your family ahead of God, when you put your health ahead of God, when you put your popularity ahead of God, when you put everything you have and everything you own, when you put anything or anybody before God, let me tell you what it does. Number one, it deadens your soul. It deadens your soul. It blocks that relational connection to the God you were made to know. Then it deepens your sin. It deepens your sin. You, you live in a life of constant rebellion against all that you know God wants to do in you, through you, with you, for you. And then it darkens your spirit. You spend all of your life walking down a trail that leads to nowhere. And the sad thing is, you don't realize it till you draw your last breath. So, let's make this real. Let's make it relevant. I'm going to ask all of us a question. I'm asking me as well as I'm asking you. I'm not going to ask you today, do you have an idol? Now, here's the question I want to ask. What is your idol? What is your idol? I read an article. It was entitled, Six Surprising Idols We Worship Today. And I thought it was so good. I said, I'm going to share this with our people. Here's six of them. See if you find yourself in one of these. Our identity. If you find identity in anything, your work, another person, your achievements, how many friends you have on Facebook, <laughs> how many people follow you on Twitter, that's your idol. How about money, stuff? If you find yourself hoarding money, buying stuff at the expense of supporting God's work financially and giving God back his tithe, your money and your stuff is your idol. Entertainment. This is a big one. If you find yourself more excited and passionate about your sports team or watching a great movie or going to the lake or a concert, then you do come into church and worshiping the only God there is. That is your idol. Here's another one. Sex. We become a sex-obsessed culture. And we think more about that in the long run than we do about money. 
And here's the thing, if you don't believe this as an idol, listen to me. If you advocate for a biblical sexual ethic, you get crucified. If you say marriage ought to be between a man and a woman, end of discussion, you get nailed to a cross. If you say any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong, you get absolutely obliterated. You know why? Because for many people, their sexual identity, their sexual practices, their sex lives are more sacred to them than anything else. Here's another one. This is a big one. Comfort. If you practice a comfortable Christianity, which calls for no sacrifice, no effort, Whatever else you do, don't get on anybody's bad side. Don't let anybody criticize you. Don't get your name in the paper. Avoid persecution at all costs. Don't take a stand for Christ because it may cost you your job. It may cost you a friend. Your comfort has become your idol. And then here's the last one. You ready? Boy, this is hard. Cell phones. Cell phones. Smartphone addiction. Sometimes known as nomophobia. It's a fear of being without a mobile phone. It is. Truth's true. You know who's true? You know who's most true? You know who that's most true of today? Gen Z and millennials. Nomophobia. Can't be without my cell phone. There are some people that would rather lose a kid than lose their cell phone. And I'm telling you, it, 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 it's a disease that affects adults of all ages. Listen, when getting on your cell phone is more important than reading your Bible, and getting on your cell phone is more important than being fully engaged and listening to God's words of prayer. It has become your idol. Now, here's the good news. You say, we're about done? Okay, about done. Here's the good news. And if I preach too hard, I don't ask you to forget. I'm, I'm preaching to me. I got so convicted over this when I was in Africa. I can't even tell you how convicted I was. Here's the good news. We can defeat idolatry. We can do it. But I want to warn you, it's going to take a cross where the true God sent his only son to die for us to make that happen. You see, the cross serves two purposes. It's at the cross where we see that Jesus died for our sins, but it's also at the cross where we can see the place where we can die to our sins. So we close with this climactic moment in this chapter. In one minute, I'm done. Here's the climactic moment. So he, that is Moses, stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And the same decision that Moses called for right then, I'm calling for right now. If you are for the Lord, you will put nothing before the Lord. And I'm telling all of you today, you can't straddle the fence with Jesus. You got to make up your mind one way or the other. So what is it going to be? So if I can quote my spiritual ancestor of 3,500 years ago, whoever is for the Lord, come to me now. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and with eyes closed? I want to say as quickly and as plainly as I can, there's only one God, only one God. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the God that sent Jesus to die for your sins and raised him from the dead. And he is the only God that deserves our worship and our adoration. If you're going to be obsessed with anything or anybody, be obsessed with God and obsessed with his son. So I want to talk, first of all, not to people who don't know God. I want to talk to those of you who say you do. Watch your idol. This is, listen, this could be one of the greatest days of your life because idolatry is a form of bondage. An idol is a jail. And some of you need to be freed from that idol. You know why God freed them from Egypt? To free them from idolatry. What is your idol? I had to confess a couple in my own life. What is your idol? Would you repent of that? Would you say, Lord, I realize now this has been my idol. And I realize now, if I am for you, I won't put anything before you. And then how about those of you who do not know God? You do not know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You're watching right now on a computer or a cell phone, or on television, or you're in this room right now. God's drawing a line in the dirt. And there's some of you today, you've never crossed that line. You've never crossed the line where God is. You're where the world is. You're where you want to be. Today's the day for you to get on the right side of that line. Today's the day for you to say, I want to come to the true God. I want to give my life to the true God. I want to worship and serve the true God. And that true God is Jesus Christ. And if that's the decision you're ready to make today, why don't you just tell him? Why don't you just say something like this? Lord Jesus, you alone are worthy of my worship. You alone are worthy of my life. You alone died for my sins. You alone were raised from the dead. You alone are alive right now. So Lord Jesus, today, I'm crossing over that line. I'm leaving my idols behind. Today, I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to take control of my life. I'm asking you to become my Lord become my savior, become my master, become my king. I repent and turn away from my life of idolatry. I surrender my life today to you. Forgive me of my sins and thank you for giving me eternal life. Now you're in this room. You just prayed that prayer to the Lord. Simple question, did you mean it? Yeah, pastor, I did. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. When this service is over, you're going to go out to a lobby. There's a table there called Connection Point, right in the middle of the lobby. I want you to go out to the lobby. Here's what I want you to say to the people that are behind that table. Hey, I, I prayed with a pastor today, and I gave my life to Christ today. I, I, I walked over. I crossed that line, and I accepted Jesus into my heart. Something like that. That's all you need to do. That's it. They know exactly where to take you from there. They're going to give you the next steps you need to take to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, there's some of you who may say, well, I've already crossed that line. I've given my life to Jesus. Have you? Can I ask you a question? Have you been biblically baptized since you did that? You know what biblical baptism is? It's not sprinkling. That's not baptism. Not New Testament. It's not when you were a baby. That's a christening. That's not a baptism. Biblical baptism is when after you're saved, you are immersed. You are put underwater and brought back up out of water. Why? That pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's biblical baptism. Some of you would say, no, I haven't done that. Then you need to do it. Well, I, I don't want to get wet. I don't want to do that. That's an idol. That's your pride. 
I don't need to. Yes, you do need to do it, not to be saved because you have been. I'm going to encourage you to go out to that table and say, you know, I've, I've given my life to Christ, but I, I've never taken that first step. I need to follow Christ in baptism. I need to let the world know I've become a believer. You need to do that. Then there's some of you who say, well, I, I've done that. Well, are you attending here regularly? Yes. Are you a member here? No. You need to join. You need to be a part of a church where you're attending and get involved, serve, worship, disciple, sin. You need to do that. So if you've got any kind of decision to make, I want you to go to that table today. Now, if you're watching online, you can do this. You can do one of two things. You can go to a website right now, crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Just go there and just let us know, hey, today I, I prayed to receive Christ, or I want to follow Christ in baptism, or I'd like to join the church. You can do it online. Or you can text Jesus to 678-255-2566. One last thing, we'll be praying and singing and leaving. Who is your one? Who is your one? If you don't have a one, why don't you have a one? If God is your true God, you want everybody to worship that one true God. Who's that one person that's never crossed that line? Who's that one person that's in a prison of idolatry and they don't even know it? And they need you to share it with them. They need you to tell them. And then this week, this week, will you do what I want to do, what I'm intending to do, I try to do every week. Would you pray for that person? Would you start a conversation with that person? Would you invite that person to church? Or would you maybe have a gospel conversation with that person? Heavenly Father, this is my prayer. The worthless idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only That's my prayer for our people. In Jesus' name, amen.